Today's scripture lesson comes to us from the 15th chapter of Matthew, verses 10 through 28. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done as you wish. And her daughter was healed immediately. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever been left out of something because of things that you could not control? I have. I was barely five years old and painfully shy when I started kindergarten. At the end of the school year, my teacher told my mother that she considered recommending having me repeat kindergarten, except that as the year went on, I learned to read really well, and she didn't think it was such a good idea anymore. So I was promoted to the first grade, along with the rest of my class. In hindsight, it probably wasn't the best decision that my parents could have made. I was always the youngest kid in my class, and I remained extremely shy throughout all my school years. Added to that, I was a tiny kid, extremely smart, and I started playing an instrument when I was in the third grade. So by the time I got to fifth grade, the year that I moved to a school 30 miles away from everything that was familiar, I had a multi-whammy of negative characteristics in my life. I was the shy, little, non-athletic, klutzy, band geek bookworm 
Girl Scout, too smart nerd. <laughs> to top it off, I lived in the other community. I was bused 10 miles to school because our local elementary school didn't have any room for new students. It seemed like none of my peers wanted anything to do with me. It took me months to make a new friend at my new school because I was too shy to reach out to anybody. I was always the one picked last for the team in PE, and then only because there was no one else left to pick. I was considered odd because I was in the school band instead of on the basketball team. And I was looked down on because my grades were too good for me to be considered normal. Therefore, I was never invited to the birthday parties or slumber parties because I was not one of the cool kids. I was excluded from social activities at school, partly because I had to get on the bus after class and partly because no one wanted to include me anyway. I was teased, picked on, and called names for any number of reasons. It was a lot for a 10-year-old kid to take in. Luckily, I had parents, Sunday school teachers, and Girl Scout leaders who loved me and taught me that I was important, that I had value despite what my classmates said or did to me. In today's gospel lesson, we encounter another person who was on the outside looking in. This person was also left out because of things that were not controllable. She was a woman, and not just any woman, but a Canaanite woman. Canaanites were the people who were driven out of the promised land by the Israelites, who were later called the Jews, after their escape from Egypt some 1,400 years prior to the days of Jesus. As pagans who did not believe in the Jewish God, they had remained enemies of the people of Israel for all of those 1,400 years. As such, the Jews, at best, ignored the Canaanites, and worse, treated them like second-class citizens. If this wasn't enough, in first-century Galilee, women were not allowed to be seen in public nor were they to even speak or be spoken to as they passed someone on the street. According to the laws of first century society, this Canaanite woman should not have been speaking to anyone in public, much less to males who were the sworn enemy of her people. This point was made abundantly clear in Matthew's Gospel, where told the disciples pleaded with Jesus to send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Now, this is not so surprising for these 12 men who frequently missed the boat when it came to understanding the kingdom of God and Jesus' ministry in it. What is surprising, though, is the response of Jesus. The one that we are taught loves everyone, regardless of who they are or what they have and what they have done. But his response for this desperate woman was anything but that. Instead of welcoming her into his presence, Jesus said and did nothing. He didn't even acknowledge that she was there. Given that the disciples said she keeps doing this, apparently Jesus had been ignoring the Canaanite woman for quite some time. Even more surprising, though, is his interaction with this woman in response to the urging of the disciples. 
Instead of saying something along the lines, go and let it be done for you, as he did when the centurion asked for his servant to be healed, he told this woman, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus uncharacteristically dismissed the Canaanite woman, basically telling her, you're not cool enough to be invited to my party. And then when he finally did talk to her, Jesus likened her to a dog. Unlike what I did when insulted by my classmates, though, this woman did not just tuck her figurative tail between her legs and slink off to wherever she came from. She was much too desperate for that. Her daughter was suffering. I'm sure she had done everything she could think of to relieve her daughter of whatever illness ravaged her body. She had probably tried every home remedy, every physician, and even every quack swindler that she could find. I'm sure she had offered all the sacrifices and prayers required by her gods, all of it to none avail. The demon still had a tight grip on her girl. The woman only had one remaining hope. There was a man being talked about throughout the small world of what we now call the ancient Near East. This radical Jew was not liked by the Jewish authorities, but he was making a name for himself by healing people with all sorts of afflictions. And what do you know? He just happened to be there in Tyre and Sidon, a place where no good Jew would ever go for fear of becoming unclean. It had to be assigned to her. So she brazenly sought out this Jesus, this man who was not of her religion or her culture. Perhaps he would heal her daughter. He was all she had left to try. She was out of op- options. So she didn't let Jesus' dismissal and insults stop her. In response to, her, to his calling her a dog, she responded, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She told Jesus that even dogs are loved and taken care of. In doing so, she told him that she had value as a human being, even if that human being wasn't the same as he was. She told Jesus that even though she was left out of his culture and his faith, she was nonetheless worthy of his love, just like all the others he had had mercy on. Now whether this was a learning moment for Jesus or a teaching moment for the disciples is open to much debate among biblical scholars. And it's a a debate that I'm not going to try to answer for you. But whichever it was, Jesus had a change of attitude because of the fortitude that this Canaanite woman displayed. Because of her great faith in him, her request was granted and her daughter was exercised of the demons that tormented her. Brothers and sisters, there is a lesson in all of this for us today. 2,000 years later, our society hasn't changed much. There was separation between Jews and Gentiles that is reminiscent of the divisions in our culture today. We encounter the lost and left out every day of our lives. We see the homeless man on the street corner 
searching for a sandwich or a few coins to jingle in his pocket. We work with the alcoholic who is trying to function in normal society, but never feeling like she really fits in. We hear of riots and violence based on nothing other than racial hatred. We always run across the one who is picked on or picked last. All of these people are calling out to us for love and mercy. Yet it bothers us and makes us feel uncomfortable. We listen and hear them making noise and we want to tell somebody to send them away because they keep bothering us. They keep shouting after us. Our religion is not much better. Twenty centuries ago, pious Jews and Jews who followed Jesus were bitterly divided. Today we find a fragmented Christian church divided by Protestants and Catholics and split into over 20,000 different denominations. We disagree over politics, homosexual marriage, ordination of women, age and style of baptism, and any number of other things. We want to step in and divulge that our God is here only for certain people. For the ones that look like us. For the heterosexual couple or the hardworking man. We tell the world if you aren't United Methodist, then your thinking and your theology are not correct. The truth, though, is that this way of thinking hurts the very God we are professing to love. God is calling us to unity in his kingdom. In the 56th chapter of Isaiah, God says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, not 2,000 or 20,000 houses, but one. God's plan for the world involves one church, united together in his glory and grace. Friends, we have a choice to make. Are we going to choose to look like today's society? Or are we going to choose to look like the kingdom of God? As Jesus and the disciples learned through the gentle reminder of a Canaanite woman, God's kingdom, the kingdom of earth, and the kingdom of heaven is radically inclusive. Even those left out by the rules of our culture are loved and welcomed with open arms. And that, friends, is the good news for us today. None of us is perfect. Sometimes we are the ones being picked last for the team. And sometimes we are doing the picking. But Jesus was sent for both sides of us. He loves us unconditionally, even when we are left out. Through the miracle of the resurrection, we are all recipients of God's mercy and included in his everlasting kingdom. Amen and amen.